Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. It's a study on the book of Revelation. Now, marathoners, they draw on this when they hit the dreaded wall somewhere around 20 miles in that 26-mile race. Uh, Students, they feel this when they're prepping for that exam. They're pulling all-nighters, knowing that if they don't pass that exam, they're not going to get their license. Uh, Business owners also feel this when they're going through an economic recession. They're watching that bottom line, and they're trying to keep employees employed. Uh, Doctors sometimes feel this when a routine surgery goes wrong and it just calls for drastic urgency and attention. And uh, and in all those situations, there's something that just sort of characterizes them. It's this idea of perseverance under pressure. It's, it's the need to endure. It's pushing through that wall. It's, uh, it's, it's sticking with it so that, you know, not throwing in the towel, knowing that, man, if, if we get through this, if I cross that line, I'm going to look back and there's going to be a sense of satisfaction. There's going to be a sense of reward, even maybe sort of a medal around the neck, so to speak, when you finish the marathon. Uh, a sense of, I did it. I, I finished. I overcame the odds. I overcame the temptation to quit. And if you can understand that idea, this perseverance under pressure, then I think you're going to get your head around what's happening in the book of Revelation. This is a unique letter. It's written in a unique time of great difficulty and tragedy as an early church is undergoing persecution. And yet they follow the lamb. They're following Jesus, the, the ultimate overcomer. Jesus, who who overcame the lure of temptation, who lived a sinless life, who overcame the fear of death, who overcame death and also the grave. He is the ultimate overcomer. And those of us who follow him, we follow him because we want to be overcomers as well. And, uh, and, and how that happens, we hear about the early church. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, declares these words, that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Friends, you have a destiny. Your destiny is that you would be an overcomer. Your destiny is painted in a picture in Revelation chapter 7, verse 10. This incredible crowd that's dressed in white. They're waving palm branches. This gathering of overcomers who are declaring these words. Salvation belongs to our God and who the one who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. This is your destiny to overcome as our overcomer Jesus overcame and to persevere under pressure. And if you can get your head around that, then you're going to have a good sense of, of what this book is all about. It's a book, frankly, that we could just say, or letter, frankly, that we could say that a lot of people avoid. They avoid it because it's, it is pretty difficult to understand. I just really, I mean, there's, there's numbers and there's animals and there's, you know, 10 horns on a beast with three heads. And what in the world does all that mean? And sometimes you just throw up your hands and say, why bother reading it? I'll never understand it. 
Oh, there's others who, they love the book of Revelation. They've dove in and they've understood what they feel is everything and they've got their theories about what this means. And, um, and sometimes, you know, those who do that and dive in that way, they just, they just come off as a little bit off. But let me just calm our fears because, you know what, understanding the book of Revelation isn't going to cause you to be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's not going to be something in which you're not going to be able to understand, so why bother? Actually, this is a pretty significant letter that, uh, that, that speaks to not only what the church was going through in the first century, I believe it speaks to us today in the chaos and the tumult of our world. Uh, the, the book of Revelation is, it falls in that, that genre of apocalyptic literature. Now, I say the word apocalyptic, or you hear the word apocalypse, you see massive tragedy. That's what you think, great disaster. But that's not really what the early readers would have come to when it comes to this idea of an apocalypse. You see, uh, an apocalypse in the first century literally means a revealing it means revelation. Think of it this way. December 25th, 2020 was an apocalyptic day. Children and adults all around the world took packages and gifts and they ripped off paper. They, they took off a lid from a box and they looked in to see what was in the box. They got to see what was hidden now being revealed. And if you can remember that from your Christmas experience, or as you think about that, that's the classic understanding of what is an apocalypse or what's apocalyptic literature. It's an unveiling. It's a revealing. And it's, it's different than, say, the Psalms. Psalms is poetry. So we understand that when the psalmist says that God shelters us under his wings, we know because it's poetry that this is imagery. God doesn't have wings. He doesn't have feathers, right? It just, it just, this imagery means God protects. He's caring. He loves us. And we also know that from the Gospels that, that we have historical narrative and that, uh, and that the Gospel narrative is, is there. And, um, and in that narrative, we hear what the, the happenings of what took place in, in history. You get to the book of Romans, you get the idea that uh, the, this is teaching. I mean, here's what first thing you need to do. Here's the second thing you need to do. Here's the third thing you need to do. It's, it's an epistle. It's a, it's a teaching genre. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic, and, um, and we just need to remember that as we go into it. And you may be thinking, I mean, this letter, that's just, just so hard to understand. I mean, why didn't Jesus show up to John and just say, look, here's how it's going to happen. I mean, things are going to get tough. Hang in there. Persevere under pressure, because in the end, I win, and you'll be an overcomer. Why didn't Jesus just say that? Why do we get 22 chapters that are so difficult to understand? Well, the reason is, is because information uh, that just engages our intellect oftentimes doesn't engage our motivations. Think of it this way. You're a marketer. You have an advertise, you're advertising. And you're advertising Coca-Cola. You don't just get a talking head that holds a, a can of Coke that says, drink Coke. No. 
What you do is you picture a construction worker on a sweltering hot day. You get someone on a beach and it's just the sun is just burning down. And then there's this ice chest and that person reaches into the ice chest on this hot sweltering day. They pull out this can of Coke and the heat of the day and the coolness from that ice chest meet and condensation beads up on the can of Coke. And it beads up so heavily that the, the this condensation is running down the Coke as the construction worker is wiping off his forehead with the back of his hand, opens the top of that Coke, drinks it. And then the message comes, drink Coke. You see, pictures often, yes, they engage your intellect, but, but even better, they engage our core motivations and they help us to persevere under pressure in this letter. Because, friends, things are not as they seem. And you and I, we need a revelation. We need an unveiling, a revealing to see what's not only happening in our natural world, but what's happening in the spiritual realm at the same moment. So what I want to do from the very beginning of this, this first talk on the book of Revelation, I just want to give us some handles in order to, how, do, how do we understand this book? And then eventually I'll get my, I will get to Revelation chapter one and I'll read the text for us. But I just want to give us some helpful hints as to how do we make sense of this book that really is so unlike all the others? How do we make sense of this letter that was written in the first century to a church that was under incredible pressure to which Jesus is saying, look, there's, there's things going on. There's more than you can see, but persevere because it, it's, it's worth it. And, uh, and let me just dive in right here because I'm going to talk about those things. And then I want to just some practical application about how we move forward in this series. Here's one of the things that will help you interpret what's going on in the book of Revelation. Look, there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of, of, of imagery. And, uh, and, and there are symbols in these images and they represent something grander and fuller. Now, it's really important that when we look at these images that we understand the context in which they happen so that we accurately interpret what they mean, if we can. So for example, here's a picture that was uh, uh, in, a, in a periodical. It's a picture of an American flag. Now, obviously, the cartoonist is trying to convey some sort of information. What's, what's going on here? Is this a statement about the manufacturing capabilities of American flag workers? That flags are not holding up in a strong wind? Well, I guess you could come to that conclusion. But it'd be much more helpful for you to understand that this was in a periodical, in a magazine in the 1990s. And the article was about the unraveling of the American moral fabric. Or here's another picture. A picture of a dragon swallowing a city. Now, are there great dragons swimming around in oceans that could swallow cities? I mean, if you're an alien and you land on from another, land come from another planet, you land here, uh, is that how you interpret this? Well, actually, it would be very helpful to know the context that this, act, this, this cartoon actually showed up in the South China Morning Post some weeks before July 1, 1997, the day in which the British colony of Hong Kong, my hometown, would be handed back to China. That gives you some sense of uh, that, that this is what's, what's going on in this particular picture. Context is huge. 
And as we get to the book of Revelation, we see all kinds of images. And what's helpful to know is that, see, sometimes the book of Revelation will tell us what these images mean. We'll read here in a little bit, Revelation chapter 1. We're going to see Jesus, and he's going to be walking among lampstands. Well, what are the lampstands? Well, John tells us in chapter 1. He tells us the lampstands are churches, and that these stars are, are angels that are, that are assigned to these churches. Friends, things are not as they seem. There's more going on than what you realize. And so this, this, the book of Revelation oftentimes will interpret what those symbols mean very clearly for us. But in other times, these symbols remain a mystery. So how do we interpret that? Well, oftentimes what you'll see is, while it's not interpreted in the book of Revelation, you will see that the rest of Scripture will help you interpret what's going on in this symbol. For example, Revelation chapter 1, we see Jesus, and Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. Does Jesus really have a piece of steel coming out of his mouth? No. The text doesn't explain to us what it means, but if we treat it sort of like a hyperlink, you click on it and you let it take you to the rest of Scripture, here's something that will help you understand what is going on in Revelation uh, chapter 1 with Jesus having a sword coming out, out of his mouth. It hyperlinks us to passages like Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. Or it might take us to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, where we read about the armor of God. And we, uh, we learn that, uh, that the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, literally the voice of God. Or it might hyperlink us and take us to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says that the, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. You see, sometimes the rest of Scripture helps interpret a picture we find in the book of Revelation. And, um, and what you'll discover, that, see, there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation. And scholars tell us that 200, over 200 of these verses have a direct reference to an Old Testament passage. In fact, other scholars say that there are over 500 references, pictures, images directly linked to the Old Testament. So friends, yes, sometimes the book of Revelation, it interprets the image itself. Oftentimes, the rest of Scripture will interpret the image for us, which is why it's really good for us to be able to feast on the pages of Scripture, because that will help us understand the book of, the book of Revelation as we read it and as we, as we study it. And friends, sometimes, there's frankly those times where we don't know. We don't know exactly what this image means, and so we need to approach this book with humility. We need to understand that um, there are some mysteries here, but there's more here that we can understand than we might realize. The second thing I'd want you to know about it, helping you understand this book is that, man, it's, it's use of numbers. Uh, there are so many numbers in this book, and numbers are used to communicate meaning. 
There'll be numbers like 2 and 3 and 7 and 10 and 12 and, and multiples of those numbers like 24 and then you get 1,000 and then you get 144,000. And in apocalyptic literature, uh, you really should avoid taking those numbers literally. They have meaning to them. They communicate an idea. And we get this because we use numbers in our own language to communicate ideas. Maybe your parents said this to you. You know, if I haven't told you of once, I've told you a thousand times, don't leave your wet towel on the floor. Is your mom or dad saying, I've told you a thousand times that you've left your towel on the floor? No. They're just saying, hey, I've told you this a lot. Can you stop putting your wet towel on the floor? Numbers communicate meaning. And sometimes it's dramatic. It's meant to, to really to multiply the meaning. And this is, you see this in other parts of Scripture. You see uh, Peter being generous and saying, Jesus, how many times do I forgive this person? Seven times? I mean, common thought today was three. And Jesus says, no, seven times 70, Peter. Is Peter supposed to interpret, well, I forgive someone 490 times, and the 491st time, then I don't have to forgive him anymore? No. Jesus is using a multiple of the number seven to say the seven number actually in, in Hebrew writing means complete. He's saying it's dramatic, it's hyperbolic, meaning you always must forgive. And so we, we come to numbers and we need to really understand that these numbers are meant to be symbolic and we probably should understand what those numbers mean. So that in Revelation chapter 21, when we see the new Jerusalem coming down and we read that it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles, we shouldn't conclude that it's a giant cube. There's meaning behind that numbers. In fact, some have said, well, it's only 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles and 1,400 miles, so there must not be very many people in there. That would be an, a, 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 an incorrect way to interpret apocalyptic literature. And numbers can be quite fascinating in this book. Take, for example, the number six or the number 666, the mark of the beast. Oh, come on now. There's all kinds of theories about the mark of the beast. I mean, is it something that Bill Gates is working on? He's going to slip into, under our skin and our, our right hand. Is he going to put it in our forehead? Uh, is it the COVID vaccine? Uh, what, what, what's, what's the mark of the beast? Well, it'd be helpful to understand what does the number six mean? Well, in the Hebrew understanding, the sixth day of creation, man was created. And when you use a number three times or you use an idea three times, you're, you're you're, you're saying something. You're, you're talking about fullness here. God is not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Complete holiness. So in the book of Revelation, we see the number six for man in his corruption, and we see six, six, six. We've got God in fullness of his holiness, and we've got mankind in their fullness of, of, of corruptness or wickedness. In fact, if we treat that understanding and we click on that like a hyperlink, what it should draw to mind, if we have a good understanding of the breadth of Scripture, it should call to mind Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. This is one way to interpret what that number might mean. You see, this is the essence of the Old Testament believer. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. There's three there, right? we got fullness. And then the writer says, Tie them to your hands and bind them to your foreheads. You see, rather than trying to figure out the conspiracy theory about what 666 means, 
Really, I think what John is getting at here is the question is, are we going to be marked by Jesus or are we going to be marked by the beast? Now, it might be an actual mark, a tattoo, a QR code, barcode. It could be that. We don't know for sure. Or it could be just a reference to the Old Testament of who we're going to be marked by. Either way, as we interpret the, the letter written to the churches, it really requires a posture of humility. But it's helpful to understand what these numbers might mean. Last thing I want to quickly say to us is simply that you can't read this book chronologically. It doesn't go from you know, A to B to C. Yes, there's a beginning and an end. But as in often, uh, oftentimes in Greek and also Jewish literature, there's a moving forward and a doubling back. You'll see this in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. You get a creation account. You move a little bit forward. You double back. You get more light and understanding about what happened at creation. You move forward. You double back. That happens in Genesis. And friends, it happens in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, you're going to get glimpses of the fall of Satan as he's evicted from heaven. You're going to see the Christmas story in Revelation chapter 2. It's not a sequence of events like chapter 2 then leads to the events of chapter 3, which leads to the events of chapter 4 and so on and so forth. No, the order we should pay attention to actually is what John saw. And many have tried to create timelines. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying if you want to understand Jewish or Greek literature, you have to understand that oftentimes it's not chronological. It doubles back and we need to read it as such. So there's just three helpful hints as we study this book. Hey, lots of symbols, got grander and fuller meaning. There's lots of numbers. Those communicate ideas as well. Let's not read it chronologically, but let's get to the letter and the context of the day so we can understand what really is going on here. What, who is this written to? And, and what is going on in their lives? And you probably are aware that it's AD 95. John has been exiled to Patmos. Think modern-day Alcatraz. It's this island, this rocky outcropping in the Mediterranean, and John has been placed there because he's a Christian. In fact, the emperor Domitian is persecuting Christians, and, um, and he's a very insecure leader. He's, he's so insecure that he's, he's so afraid that people are going to overthrow him and take the throne from him. So in order to demand loyalty, he's wanting people to treat him as a god. And so people in the Roman Empire are required to take a pinch of incense, go down to the temple, toss it in the air, and cry out, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. Now, there are many Christians living in that day who just couldn't come to say this. Remember what we said last week? Anytime allegiance to government compromises my allegiance to Jesus, it's time to quote Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. And that was happening time and time again in, in the 80, 80s, that John was, was recognizing the church as being persecuted. And friends, in AD 92, 42,000 Christians were murdered by Domitian, burned at the stake, thrown to the lions. 42,000 Christians killed. And this is a letter written to the persecuted church. That's the context of what is going on here. And so uh, imagine this. You are, you are told that, look, you're seeing all this tragedy. You're seeing your friends lose their businesses and their property. You're seeing that all happen. 
And, uh, and then one day you get called in to get your pinch of incense and toss it up. And I mean, uh, you know, what, do, what are you going to do? Are you going to remain faithful to Jesus? And, or perhaps think about one of your own kids, one of your own family members, your, your spouse is taken and there's a sword held to their throat and their life hangs in the balance of, of you saying Caesar is Lord versus Jesus is Lord. See, it's, it's, it's in these moments that the words of Jesus that are found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, where it says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Or Matthew chapter 10, chapter 10 verse 37, where it says, you must love me more than your mother, your father, your sister, or your brother. It makes those passages of scripture sobering in moments like these. This is what's going on for the early church. They are a persecuted church. And friends, things are not as they seem. Jesus is going to give us an unveiling, a revealing, that even in the midst of tragedy and loss, things are not as they seem. So persevere under pressure. Be an overcomer. Because there's a Revelation chapter 7, verse 10 moment waiting for us where we'll be dressed in white. We'll be waving our palm branches, declaring that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and belongs to the Lamb. And these are the people who are hearing the words of this letter, which let me just move right to some application for us as we prepare to move forward in this, in this series. And I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1 here in a second. But some, some purely just obvious application for us on the front end of this series is this. We need to marinate ourselves in Scripture. My fear is that in these days, we have marinated ourselves in so many other things. Some of us have marinated ourselves in social media. Some of us have marinated ourselves in the evening news whether CNN or Fox News. Some of us are marinating ourselves in blogs and some of us are marinating ourselves in things like Netflix and Hulu and you know, Apple TV Plus and friends. All those things aren't inherently bad or evil. It's just that when the squeeze is put on us, what is going to come out of us? Is it going to be a particular opinion about what's going on in our world or are we going to have... God's word and his voice squeezed out of us so that we respond as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I want to challenge us to be a people who marinate ourselves in scripture. I'm calling us at the front end of a year to begin engaging in the, in the discipline of reading God's word and listening to his voice so that he might speak and illuminate his word to us. The writer of Proverbs says that the blessed are the ones who cry out for insight and understanding. We need to marinate ourselves in Scripture in these days. That would also help us understand what God is writing in this book of Revelation. The second thing I would, I would say to us is we need to be faithful in our, our private times of worship. As I read here in, in a few moments, again, we're going to see John worshiping on Patmos. Fascinating. He's placed in prison, in exile on Patmos because of Jesus, and yet here he is, worshiping Jesus. You just have to admire that response. He's in suffering because of Jesus, but he's still turning to Jesus. And my guess is that he's had many routine, mundane moments where he's worshiping Jesus. No big thing happens. He's praying, he's talking, he's singing, he's perhaps reading. But then one day, 
One day, Jesus shows up. He breaks in and reveals to John, things are not as they seem. Persevere under pressure. I have overcome. Communicate the church to be overcomers as well. So friends, be faithful in your private worship. And lastly, I would just say this is, Lord, we, we, we just can't numb the urgency to declare Jesus as Lord. We must refuse to numb the urgency to declare Jesus as Lord because as we'll see as I begin reading here, Revelation chapter one, that when Jesus comes back, friends, and he comes on the cloud, he says he, says, he is coming. Not one day he, he's, he's coming. He's coming. Like he, right now, he, he's coming. He's coming soon. Can you see him? And will we be people who are marked by the beast or by Jesus? And we need to understand that when he comes, for those of us who are in Christ, it's a great day of joy. It's bliss. I mean, all injustices made right. I mean, all wickedness gone. Every tear wiped away. It's just going to be glory. We'll be so thrilled to stand with the crowd in heaven and worship our, our lamb. But for others, it's a day of wailing. It's a day of mourning. It's a day of regret. And we can't be silent about who our Jesus is. Revelation chapter 1, if you got your Bibles, I'm going to wrap up by just reading this text for us, making a few comments along the way. But just to get us launched, we begin our series. This is revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the word of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. Sometimes it's hard to comprehend when the events of our world are going the way they are, but he reigns supreme. All glory to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. Who are we? We're loved. We're freed. We're priests. Not for what purpose? Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Sobering. But we taste the urgency. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, who is still to come, the Almighty One. And then we get to the dessert bar of the theological sweetness here in verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which, he, which Jesus calls us. Friends, you're called. You're called to suffer. I know that doesn't preach. I, I know those aren't words that are eagerly embraced. But John's our partner and our brother in this. And we are called to suffer in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. 
persevere under pressure, my friends. The lamb is overcome. Continuing on, verse 9, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe, a picture of leadership, with a gold sash across his chest, a a picture of royal priesthood. His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. He sees everything, friends. His feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace. Stability steadfast. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. We get that. We understand what that sounds like as we go to the Oregon coast. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Friends, this is God's holy word. Things are not as they seem. Persevere under pressure. The lamb has overcome. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.